0: Hi there, this is Watchin', and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Review Planner. For many of us, performance review season is about to begin. For many of us, it's also a challenge to remember all of the things that we've done during the year. So what happens is our performance reviews become a one-way conversation where our managers are telling us what they think we did during the year And without proof of our performance, it becomes incredibly hard for us to advocate for that raise, promotion, or new position that we know we deserve. So I created the Review Planner because I always wanted a tool like this, a systematic way to track all of our career accomplishments that are specifically tied to the feedback and growth areas that our managers are measuring our success by. The Review Planner helps you create a schedule for your career growth, and it makes it easy to focus on the goals that you have throughout the year. With email templates, monthly checklists, built-in accountability and reminders, the planner keeps you on track to accomplish your goals and ensures you are spending your time on the things that actually move your career forward. I designed the review planner to help you focus on your career and prepare for your annual review so you can confidently speak up for yourself and earn what you deserve. To learn more about the review planner, head to thereviewplanner.com. Again, that's thereviewplanner.com. In this episode, you meet Erica Swilly. Erica is the vice president of community and social responsibility for the Detroit Pistons. Previously, she spent time in community relations for the Chicago Sky and Sky Cares Foundation and Golden State Warriors. In her role, Erica coordinates the philanthropic initiatives of the Pistons and their players. She also organizes events as part of numerous league-wide initiatives as part of NBA CARES, as well as has an instrumental role with player development and works closely with team sponsors and the players' personal foundations. Erica was named 2007 and 2008 Palace Sports & Entertainment Community Relations Employee of the Year and has received three world championship rings as part of overseeing community relation efforts for the WNBA Detroit Shock and Golden State Warriors. In 2009, Erica was selected as a Woman of Excellence by the Michigan Chronicle, in 2010 was recognized in Who's Who in Black Detroit, and in 2018 was named one of Detroit's 40 under 40. Erica received her bachelor's degree from the University of Missouri-Columbia with a major in Communication, Marketing, and Sociology. Now, I was really excited to have a conversation with a fellow woman in sports um, and from someone who has worked with some pretty reputable organizations and to learn more about how she um, thinks about mirroring philanthropy with corporate and what she feels like her responsibility is um, for the next generations of of leaders um, within her space. And so as always, grab your pen, your I Choose the Ladder notebook and your favorite drink and get ready to get to work. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. I know that you have a game, we just realized, and you are taking this (laughs) this interview from the arena. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me on. It's um, a great pleasure. Um, So the first question, we always ask this because one, we'll talk about sports a little bit later because everyone thinks that they want to work in sports, but holistically just thinking about corporate America, like how did you know that it was something that you wanted to pursue? Like were your parents very corporate or how did you discover corporate America?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. My parents weren't very corporate. Um, My dad's in construction. My mom's a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how I discovered kind of corporate America was from um, a neighbor actually. So my next-door neighbor was the head of marketing for a popular radio station in Chicago, which is where I'm from. And um, I was like, whoa, Elisa, your job sounds just super cool. You know, can I learn more? And she was like, absolutely. She's like, in high school, she allowed me to come and work like Taste of Chicago and Women's Black Expo and things like that for the radio station, just so I could kind of get a taste for, you know, that. And that's kind of how I learned about corporate America was, you know, seeing her in her role and her allowing me to,
0: you know, get that
1: hands-on experience from an early age.
0: At that time, were you like aware of the concept of like mentorship or, or anything like that?
1: Yeah, definitely um, viewed her as a mentor and, you know, was big on mentor at different points of my life. So, you know, I've had mentors in high school, different mentors in college, and then throughout my adult life as well. But definitely saw her as a mentor and she helped me get some of my other key internships Mm -hmm. um, and uh,
0: really allowed me, you know, where I am today. So as you think back over the different mentors that you had at different stages of your career, right, how has the way that you've leveraged them changed? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean,
1: you need different mentors for different things. It's just like friends, right? So you have different friends for different situations. Like I'm talking to some of my friends if I'm going through something serious or I have another friend, you know, for something um, maybe that I just want to laugh about. So that's how I kind of view my mentors, too, is, you know, they provided and poured into me in different ways that I needed at that time, whether it was advice on, you know, a career or situations I was facing in the workplace Mm-hmm. Um, no one ever kind of coaches you or tells you about all the office politics and, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. And so some of those things that you have to navigate and learn on your own. It's nice to be able to have a different set of opinions and people to kind of bounce ideas off. of. Mm-hmm.
0: Got that. And speaking of office politics, I think it's one of the things that um, a lot of people, um, especially black women, like they struggle in navigating. Right. Finding out, like, how do you find your place while also trying to navigate corporate politics. And so for you, how have you approached, you know, doing work that you love but also having to balance all of the other things that come with, you know, going up the corporate ladder?
1: Yeah, I'm and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that it's been, you know, easy the entire time. Mm-hmm. And definitely kind of had to find my niche, but what I've realized especially as I've gotten older and taken more time to navigate, you know, corporate America is that um being a woman of color That's what I bring to the table. Mm. So when I'm at this table and it has a lot of white males, they can't offer the opinion of a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I add value to being at that table. Um, And I have, you know, we had a panel earlier today and one of our VPs talked about, you know, finding your voice and being confident. And once you're able to do that, and you know, you're going to speak up in situations um, then, you know, it's kind of easier to navigate some of those uh, uh, political uh, avenues because people see value in, you know, you and your role, um, and they don't take what you bring to the table for granted. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, you do have to shake hands and kiss babies, especially in my role. Um, but really, you just have to stay true and authentic to yourself. And, you um, I always say, don't compromise your values or, you know, who you are. And um, if people don't like that, then you have to move on from that job or that situation. You have to do what's best for you. But it's not always the easy thing or situation to be, you know, involved in. But yeah, corporate America comes with office politics and, you know, you have to learn how to navigate them.
0: Um, So we both work in sports and we both know it's very male. And for most of the teens, it's very white, right? and when we talk about things like imposter syndrome it comes up a lot is that something that you've had to deal with and how have you worked to manage it i know a lot of the times we um we walk into these places and we're like dang like it's, it's just me like i'm mean, i'm the only woman i'm the only woman of color i'm the only whatever it is and then sometimes it's it's um easy to forget the value that you bring you just talked about like here's the advantage that i bring to this table and so if you've ever dealt with that like how do you manage it
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and that goes back to the confidence, you know, and having confidence in yourself and what, you know, you bring to the table,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: I know that I deserve to be at this table, um, just as much as any of, you know, these men or white men. And so I'm not going to go into those rooms and shrivel. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I speak up and that, um, I, and that also comes with knowing what you're talking about as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so being prepared for meetings too. Um, but I mean, yeah, you—it's not always—you don't always feel comfortable. I would say, you know, and sometimes you do feel out of place. Mm-hmm. But you have to be like, hey, this isn't just for me. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like I have to speak up, um, so we don't find ourselves in a situation like the Raiders. Who put out after you know the um Vert, the Derek you know I, <laughs> the Derek um Shervin verdict? One of my counterparts um, sent me a text message and he said clearly they don't have an Erica at their company because I would have spoken up. I would have taken it to the furthest you know um, up the chain as much as I could um, had that been our organization. And so you have to be willing to kind of stick your neck out there. And then I'm just going to be very honest and transparent (laughs) um, with you at this time is that I am a black woman who oversees community and social responsibility, right? For a predominantly, like, I I would say our organization is pretty diverse. We've gotten more diverse over the years, you know, so I will give them that. We have a lot of women in exec positions. We do have, you know, um, a good amount of, you know, people of color or whatever. But sometimes I go into situations and I'm like, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen if I speak up? Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to say, okay, are they going to fire me? Probably not, right? Because that would be a bad look (laughs) if they fired, you know, the Black woman who's speaking up about, you know, a social injustice issue or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of Think about what's the worst case scenario. And usually it's, you know, the worst case would be firing. And I'm like, I'm not going to get fired for using my
0: voice. Especially because you are good at your job, right? Like it's, and I think that's something that you talked about earlier, right? Being prepared, right? Being prepared for meetings. It's not as if you're someone who, is a slacker, underperformer, but then you're creating all this noise and chaos somewhere else. Exactly. I think that's what, um, when we talk about imposter syndrome, we typically assume the worst about ourselves, right? And the right. best about everyone else. And it's like, no, you're a high performer. And if you are speaking out on something, it means that it's important to you. And typically organizations would value would value that.
1: Exactly. Uh, and you can't just speak out to speak
0: out, right? You have to have a point. And like, I
1: always try to come with solutions too. So I'm, all, I'm not always like, this is the issue. So I'm always like, okay, this is an issue, but here are some solutions on how we can work through it. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I'm also not going to just raise a red flag without, you know,
0: trying to come to the table with something love that um so can we talk about pivots for a second and that's because we're talking about sports so you've piv- you pivoted into sports and I think it's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people want to do and have no idea like how to do it and so as you've been thinking about your career you've been in sports for a while you've worked for some pretty phenomenal brands um how did you get into sports and then how what has kept you in sports
1: yeah. So I, I feel so bad when people ask me this question, to be honest with you, because I never set out to work in sports. I kind of fell into working into sports. Mm. And for, for me, I'm on the corporate social responsibility side. And so for me, it's the give back. Mm-hmm. And so every job that I've had or have taken has been about, you know, how can I give back and help others? And the platform that the MBA and WMBA affords me to give back is why I continue to work in sports, Mm -hmm. to be able to work with athletes and helping them find and use their voices. um, And then being able to leverage the brand of, you know, the Pistons organization in the community Mm -hmm. just opens so many doors um, and just allows my team to impact the city of Detroit in ways that if I worked for another organization, um, wouldn't allow me to do.
0: Mm. And I think when people, cause I encounter this all the time, when people think about working in sports, there's this idea of what the day-to-day of working in sports is like, like, what do you think would surprise people about what your day-to-day working in sports is like?
1: Yeah. Um, I, no day-to-day is the same. Um, and really my job is 24 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to find a time when I can, you know, really turn it off. Um, like for example, as you mentioned, I'm here at the arena today, we have a game, but my, my morning started at eight 30, you know, answering emails and I probably won't get home tonight until like around 11 o'clock mm-hmm. after the game ends. But, um, I always say the need doesn't stop. So the work doesn't stop. And so my team is trying to figure out ways that we can help, um, with things that are happening, not only in the city of Detroit, but like also in our organization as well. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, for May 1st, we had a vaccination event at our practice facility, which was a Saturday. So my team spent their entire Saturday, (laughs) you know, at our practice facility, working at a vaccination event with the city but it was important for us because we're trying to get Detroiters vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We have another one of those coming up on May 22nd. That's another Saturday, right. That, you know, where everyone else is out with their friends and no, we are helping, you know, the city of Detroit. And so if the city calls and says, Hey, we're having issues here. Can you guys lend your name or what can you do to help? Like, you know, we're, we're going to do what we can.
0: Mm. So that, I love that though. And I think that that's part of it too, especially when you're in season that people, people think that you're just at basketball games, and you're hanging out with the athletes. And it's like, that's yeah. like yeah. such a small fraction of like the time that is spent. If you're on the business side of basketball, that exactly. I think that a lot of just don't, don't know. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier that you've worked for quite a few brands. So you worked for the Sky, you mm-hmm. work for Detroit, you work for the Warriors. And so for you, how do you know when it's time to move on? Right. I think a lot of the the conversation around people getting places, getting comfortable, and then just like overstaying their time where they're no longer learning. Um, they're comfortable. But for you, you've um you've navigated and like people for some people, it's like the Warriors is the dream. I would never leave there. And it's like, but you have a vision of what your career is going to look like. And so how have you known it was time to move on?
1: For me, it was always personal, right? It was a, you know, not only what's happening at work, what's happening in my life as well,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: and um, I always tell people you can't pay for peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I've been in situations where I felt like I kind of had hit my ceiling at that organization
0: Mm -hmm. or
1: I might not have liked exactly what was happening. And so I had to do what was best for me. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, no one has your interest um, in mind better than yourself, right? At the end of the day, it's a job. And while I love what I do, and I love the organization I work for, you know, um, I have to consider me and my needs. Like I always hear people say like, I want to leave this job, but it's not the right time. There is no right time, right? (laughs) There will never be a right time for anything. So you kind of got to, you know, step out. And, you know, if you have this, I have always had this gut feeling like, okay, it's time for me to move. And also I look at the opportunity that I'm going to as well. Is this a better opportunity? Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, I started my career at the Pistons and the Detroit Shock. They had a WNBA team here as well at first. And by the time I went to the Warriors, they were winning championships and, you know, performing at a high level. Mm -hmm. And the Pistons called and asked if I would come back to run their, you know, um, community department. And people were like, how could you leave California? How could you leave the Warriors? But my job isn't dictated by what's happening on court, right? My job, (laughs) I had to look at my career growth. I had to look at, you know, hey, I'm coming back to a market that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what type of impact can I make? So while I loved working for the Warriors and I loved working in the Bay, I feel like the impact I'm making in Detroit um, doesn't even compare. And Detroit's such a small, big city. Like we can see, I can see the impact that we're making.
0: Mm, Love that. And you talk about, I think a, a few times you've mentioned like your life, right? So how do you think about balancing and integrating, right? For someone who, um, when you're in season, right, you may start your day at 7 or 8 a.m. You may not get home until 11, 11.30. How do you make sure, or how do you think about not getting lost, like you the person, in all of the things that your job requires?
1: Yeah, so one thing is, I made sure to find a job that I was passionate about, that I love, that when I go to work, it doesn't feel like work. So that when I'm working long hours, I'm not like, you know, complaining or like, oh, I missed out on this, you know, um, I really enjoy what I do. So the long hours, I I don't mind, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it's, you have to be able to kind of find time for yourself. Um, anyone that knows me and my friends always joke with me, like I have a standing nail appointment. I have a standing care appointment. You know what I mean? Like I have um I have appointments that are set and kind of everybody knows, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to take time to like block your schedule off Mm -hmm. and do things for you and that matters to you. Um and I always tell my team, you know, like if you have something to do and we have an event or a game, we're a team. So the team should be able to cover. Whatever you had going on, mm-hmm. um, and so being able to kind of create that culture too, where you know people don't get burned out, is very important to me. Okay. But. I don't, I mean, when people always say balance, what, what does balance look like? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) um, if I can get six hours of sleep, I'm happy. (laughs) So,
0: and I think balance also looks different for everyone. And so I think the narrative that everybody who wants to relax has to be getting a massage and this, like, it's just not true for certain Right. Like for some people, they recharge through their work. Yeah,
1: Exactly. Yes, exactly. When I go to an event and, you know, someone afterwards says, thank you, you know what I'm saying? Like, or just, you're like, okay, I I can kind of keep going, right? Like you see the impact. And so it just helps to,
0: it helps fuel. Hmm. So one of the things that um, I think is a misconception is that the path to like senior leadership is straight for people, right? Like you yeah. get there, you do the work and then you end up like you just progress. So. And that's not true. And I, and I wish that Better. it was not a narrative, Um, but can you think back to a time in your career, maybe where you felt stuck, right? Like you were ready to move on or something. Um, And what did you do to get unstuck? Because I think what ends up happening for a lot of people is that they feel stuck. And then the, the resentment sets in and they're like, well, why am I still here? This person's being promoted. I'm applying to jobs. Nothing's happening. But there are things that you can focus on that can help you. So thinking back it doesn't have to be at this job, but just at any point in your career where you felt stuck and then what did you do to get unstuck?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when I was at the Pistons the first time, I had you know, started as an assistant in the department and went from an assistant to a coordinator, to a manager, to an assistant director. And I there were so many changes happening at the organization when I hit that assistant director, right? Our owner had passed away. So then we got new ownership. Um, leadership started to change. Um, you know I didn't see my boss going anywhere for me to take that next step and so I really did feel stuck. you know mm-hmm. I loved what I did, but I was like, I don't know. So I was just like, you know what I'm gonna step out in, out on faith. I am going to put my two weeks in. I'm going to move back to Chicago and mm-hmm. I'm gonna fi- and I'm gonna figure it out, right mm-hmm. And I was like and what's meant to be will be, you know, but for me and my life and in the space I was in at that time, I knew it was right for me to depart the organization. Hmm. So I put my two weeks in and everyone's like, where are you going? I was like, nowhere. Like, I don't have, I don't have another job. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I'm going back to Chicago where I'm from, you know, and, um, I, I have faith that it's going to work out and, you know, it's going to be okay. And I put my two weeks in and before I left the Pistons, I got a job leading the Chicago skies, CSR team. Um, Right. And so it worked out. Right. And so, um, I mean, very well couldn't have, right. And I would have gone to Chicago and I would have figured it out, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the time I knew that that was the right decision for me.
0: So can you talk a little bit about what your network was like at that time? Because what I don't want you all who are listening to here, be like, I have no network. I have no connections, but Erica said quit. So I'm quitting. Erica did not say quit. That is no, that is yeah. not the message. Right. So, can <laughs> you talk a little bit about like, what was your network like? How did you, you know, coming home? What were you coming home to?
1: Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely have a network um, of amazing people who have helped me throughout my career. And that's the thing is that, you know, sending a message or an email saying, hey, I'm leaving, you know, the Detroit Pistons. Um, if you guys hear of anything, kind of let me know, right, Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, even searching or seeing, LinkedIn is amazing to see who's connected to who or what job opportunities are open, and so um, I had a lot of great people who said, you know, if you really want to move on from the Pistons, like, you know, we will help you try to find another position, or, you know, and here's the thing, I, I quit the Pistons, right, but I'm back working for the Pistons, so it's important, to learn to not to burn bridges. Mm. Right. Um, And so making sure that when you are leaving, even if you are frustrated, you're leaving gracefully um, and you're still keeping in contact with people in the organization Mm -hmm. um, and maintaining that relationship. And so I wasn't resentful about leaving or, you know, um, and so here I am back, you know, (laughs) Um, but yes, to your point, you know, definitely you have to have some type of plan. Right. And so at first I was like, well, I'm going to move home. I'm going to move back in with, you know, my mom and kind of I'll fi- I'll figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you can't pay for peace of mind. So for me at that time in my life, I, that was what I was willing to sacrifice and do. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to, but you know, you do have to make sacrifices sometime,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: using your network is key. Yeah. It is key. It's key. Mm-hmm.
0: Relationships are key.
1: And it's important
0: that you um, cultivate those relationships before you need them, right? So she'd already built relationships with people over time who knew her character, knew her work ethic, and were willing to put their name out there for her to help her. Um, And so I think it's important to know that building your network takes time. So get started on building one. But as you, so now you're in senior leadership, how do you think about networking and growing and cultivating your network? Because I think... Networking is a challenge for a lot of people, especially for people who are first generation in the corporate space with all the politics and all, and trying to figure out how to build connections with people. I think sometimes it's hard. So how do you think about networking?
1: So it's interesting because I think people are very prideful, right? And so people don't want to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So I always remember like, you know, even like my mom saying, oh, well, I know someone who works here that I can give you your resume to." I'd be like, no. Like, I want, to, I want to do this on my own, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think people feel like reaching out to their network or cultivating a network is going to somehow diminish how they got to where they are. But it's important to know that everybody kind of uses their network. Um, and that's everybody, right? And so I always say, I always tell people, like, if you're looking for a job, send an email and your resume to everybody you know. Whether it is a friend, a friend's parents, you know, a former teacher, let them know what you're trying to do, you know, or what you're looking to do and that you need help Mm -hmm. and people are willing to help you. So asking for help is not a weakness. And so, you know, now, anytime that, you know what I'm saying, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, I need help. I'm going to go to my network and see how they can help. And people are always willing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To, um, help those that they know, but it's like you said before, creating those authentic relationships. You can't just go to someone when you need something, um, and making sure that, you know, um, you're reaching out to people. I wouldn't say it has to, it on a consistent basis, but just, you know, having real genuine relationships, people are going to want to step out and, um, help you out.
0: And here's how I think about asking for help, right? You might be the answer to someone else's need, right? So yeah. you looking for a new job, they may have a friend who's looking for someone with your exact skill set. So you're not bothering them; you're actually helping them be a resource for someone else. You just may not know that at the time. And so, if you have people who you've grown with, who you are invested in relationship with, um, you may be actually your skill set maybe what helps them solve a, a need that they have. And so don't be selfish, share your gifts with the world and see like who actually needs what it is that you have to offer.
1: Exactly. And I love when people reach out to me and say, hey, I looked at this job with this organization. Do you know anyone? And I'm like, yes, I do. I I would be happy to send your your resume over
0: in hopes that they do get that job, you know? So. Um, So one of the things that you talked about earlier was around like having an opinion, having a voice and confidence in that voice, right? But we also know that there are stereotypes around like, angry Black women or being too aggressive or being all those things. So how do you think about communication, um, knowing all of the things that swirl in the ether about our communication styles? Yeah, I mean,
1: here's the thing. You have to pick and choose, you know, when you want to use your voice um, and use your spot. And you also have to read the room, too. Is it appropriate to say this out loud? Or do I wait until after the meeting and pull that person aside and have a private conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning, you know, when to use kind of your voice and how to use it is important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can have an opinion, but you might not have to voice it in front of the entire, you know, room. It might be an email afterwards or mm-hmm. a private conversation. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to pick and choose those spots, I think is important. And then also I always tell people, yes, some things are a race issue at work. But not everything is. So you can't play that card over and over and over again. Cause then at some point people are gonna be like, okay, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> is is this really, you know, um, you know, a racist or, or what, what is this? So just kind of being able to figure out what the issue is, have a solution, and then just picking and choosing your places is definitely important.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't have
1: you to get your point across, you don't have to be the loudest in the
0: room. Mm-hmm. And you don't want people to tune you out, right? I Correct. think it's like, yes. oh, here here she is with that. Here she goes again. And that's not to say that issues are important, but also it's to think about if there are that many issues where you work, is it the right place for you to work, right? Like exactly. if, you, if you are constantly in battle over something that's a core value conflict, right? Then it's time to re-examine the organization, the department, the person or whatever. Um, but there are things at work that are important. There are things that are, um, race issues. There are things that are bias issues. There are things that are yes. present issues, and it's not to say to overlook those, but it's to see how those things in the environment align with who you want to be when you're at work. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so we have been in some very strange working times, <laughs> and you yeah. have a team, right, that that works for you, and I think a lot of people are trying to think through. How do they add value to their managers, right? So for you, like, how do you think about your staff adding value to your department, to you as their boss? Um, How do you think about that? Or how should they be thinking about that?
1: Yeah, um, I couldn't do what I do without my staff. I have an amazing, amazing, amazing team. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always tell them is, one, don't suffer in silence, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a mind reader. And so they have to be able to feel comfortable enough to come to me with their issues and problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of have that two-way communication, but I'm also vulnerable with them as well, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if I want them to be vulnerable with me, I have to you know, extend that same um, respect to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very transparent leader. And it has been hard to, you know, um, kind of connect virtually since a lot of people were working from home. Um, I definitely have one-on-ones with my team. Sometimes we talk about work. Sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being able to see them is—I don't see them just as, you know, people on my team. I see them as human beings too that have lives. Um, and I always tell them, work is second, right? So if you have to go to the doctor. Or if you have to take time off for a family issue, like that's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, work a second, you know? Um, and that's, and that's not to say don't get your work done because they know my expectations, but, you know, lending them that grace too. Um, like I had a guy in my department, he was like, Hey, can I take off next Monday? So I can golf. Yeah. Cause guess what? He always gets his work done. I know nothing's going to slack. You, you need a mental day to go golfing, go for it. Mm. He didn't feel like he had to lie to me and say like, you know, he was very transparent. Um, and But we have that type of, you know, relationship. And I definitely appreciate that. Um, uh, definitely lots of Zoom calls um, and uh, text messages and things like that. But um, I also try to give them their space as well to learn, grow and make mistakes.
0: Mm. Um, Speaking of mistakes, and this doesn't have to be about your current organization, just thinking over the places that you've worked, the leadership, the leaders that you've been around, um, are there common like missteps that consciously or unconsciously that you see young Black women make in the workplace that their counterparts may not be making that could hold them back, right? Is it like something that that they may not know, right? Because they were never socialized to know that this is what's holding them back. But if you could think of like one or two things, what would they be?
1: That's a really, really good question. Um, And I would say not just Black women, but women in general, Mm -hmm. um, especially with this younger generation, is the way you dress, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Sometimes
1: I see young women and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that you've worn that outfit to the club, you know, and just threw a cardigan over it to come to work. Um, And so um, you want to dress for the respect that you want, fair or not fair, but people are looking at your attire. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you can't be cute or, you know, um, cute or sexy. Like there's ways to dress appropriate and still pull those things off Mm -hmm. um, without bringing undue attention. Um, And so I know we've had issues talking to some of the younger, um, you know, women that work in the organization about how you present yourself, especially because we work in You don't want to give people a reason to think differently than you or to assume. And unfortunately, perception is reality. Um, And so you just want to be conscious of that, fair or unfair.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think the last question before we get to the lightning round. So if there's someone who's listening, not like a recent college grad, right, maybe middle career and wants to pivot into sports, what advice would you give them?
1: So I would say you can pivot into sports no matter, you know, what point of your career you're in. As long as you have those transferable skills. Mm. Um, And when I'm looking to hire, I'm hiring based off of that. I don't care if you've worked a day in sports before, but if you've worked for a nonprofit, if you've worked for a foundation, if you know how to event plan, um, if you're organized, if you have those soft skills um, and you can come to an interview and say, hey, I've been working here but this is how my skill set transfers over to the job you're hiring for. And you have a great personality, then I'm going to hire you. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, you know, look at what the job description is. And before you go into that interview, figure out what your transferable skills are and how, what you've been doing relates to that job.
0: Yeah. And we say it all the time. It's the candidate's responsibility to build that bridge for the person interviewing them, right? So is yes. not going to, when she's interviewing 10, 15 people, she's not going to be the person responsible for saying, oh, oh, I, is this how what you did connects to what I'm hiring for? It's your job in the conversations and the different rounds of interviews to build that bridge so that she can see, oh, here's where you are. And here's what you, here's how what you've done gets you to where, where I need you to. That is the the job that you have, the one job that you have when you are um, in these interviews. A hundred percent. So we're going to go to the lightning round. Don't think too much about this. It's like the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, What's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten earlier in your career?
1: One piece of it. I always tell people, don't worry about the money, right? The money will come. Figure Mm -hmm. out what you're passionate about um, and focus on that.
0: Um, What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career?
1: Ooh, career lesson, Um, that it's okay to ask for
0: help and it's okay to make mistakes. Mm. What's um, one book that you could read over and over again? Oh,
1: that's a really good question. One book I could read over and over again. It's probably, I'm trying to think what I've read recently. (laughs) I have so many books right now, like on my nightstand. What can I read over and over again? I know what I could read over and over again. And you know what? I'm so blessed because he lives here in Detroit and I've been able to meet him, um, tons of times, but Mitch album his um, any of his books I'm obsessed with, but, um, uh, what is it? Tuesdays with Maury. Um, I love, and I also love the five people that you'll meet in heaven that he wrote as well. Mm. Um, so I love all of his books.
0: Um, And then the last question is, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room?
1: I hope people are saying that, um, and I know people say this because they tell me all the time, is that I'm very passionate about the community and what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that that comes across, um, that I'm not just doing it to check a box, um, I really want to um, make a difference and a change.
0: Love that. And with that, thank you so much, Erica.
1: No, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: I absolutely love when I have an opportunity to connect with people who really love what they do, because I think that it kind of changes the narrative around how if you are working in corporate, like there are not people who are happy with their jobs and it's, you're, you know, you're doing this for the man and and all these other things that, um that people want to say when they try to shame people for having nine to fives. And so meeting someone like Erica, who loves what she does um, and has loved what she does is so refreshing and I hope it gives um, you all hope and it inspires you to do what you need to do to find a place of employment um, that that you love and that also values you and your contributions. But you all know that I like to end each episode with the top three things and I wrote down so many things, so it's gonna be hard to pick three, but I think the first one is around navigating office politics. That's something we talk about um, in I Choose a Ladder all the time. We talk about the unwritten rules of corporate and knowing what you're signing up for and getting the skills and the support that you need to be able to um, navigate office politics. Um, the second part of it is around speaking up, I mean, the second thing that I thought was interesting was about speaking up around social justice issues at work um, and. You know, really asking yourself what's the worst that could happen and if that thing happens are you confident um, that you can find employment somewhere else and if it does happen is that someplace that you want to work and just thinking through the value that you add um, and then the last thing i will say is around getting unstuck right so when you are in a position where you feel like there's no room for you Hopefully you all feel empowered now to think through some creative solutions to help you get unstuck and get get the ball kind of rolling. Um, As always, if you want to continue this conversation, you can connect with us on LinkedIn at I Choose the Ladder, on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder, on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder. You can also subscribe to our newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C L I M B to 66866. And until next time, thank you for listening.